Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. If you love listening to vinyl records but wish you had a better way of storing your collection, check out Records on Walls. This Canadian company has created a sleek, simple framing design with no glass that allows you to quickly and simply display your records. They're easy to install on any surface. They fit double LPs and gatefolds, and each unit sells for as little as 7 bucks. So if you love your vinyl and want an accessible way of showing it off, check out recordsonwalls.com. Creative Control with Beesh Big show today. Lots happening in uh, Ontario. The world is watching Toronto, and it's uh, Mayor Rob Ford who uh, this week announced that, uh, well, he finally admitted that he has actually smoked crack cocaine, and it's caused a lot of controversy, and uh, it's incredibly dramatic. So uh, a good portion of today's show uh, inevitably has to cover this. Uh, On today's program, Toronto political and cultural writer Edward Keenan is on to discuss his new book, which uh, coincidentally just came out. It's called Some Great Idea. It's about uh, basically the formation of Toronto and its progress under the last three mayors it's had. Uh, Also on the program, philosopher-poet Karen Houle will be joining me for a a phone call about uh, her book and appearance at the Guelph Lecture on Being Canadian. Sorry, her, her book of poetry is called During, so that's also on the show. And finally, Jeff Berner, the great musician Jeff Berner, is on to talk about his new book, Festival Man. It's a hilarious novel, a satire of the Canadian music industry. And uh, Jeff's great. It comes with a, a soundtrack. We're going to hear a song from the soundtrack. It's other people covering Jeff's songs. So that's the show. I think that's the show. I hope you enjoy it. Stay tuned. Hey, this week's episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero. For my money, the best pizza you can eat in Guelph, Ontario. A proud, independent family business run by a punk rocker, Trocadero only uses a rich array of fresh ingredients cut by hand and homemade dough made daily, all baked to perfection inside of a stone oven. It's gourmet panzerotti, calzones, wings, salads, garlic bread, breadsticks, and oh man, the pizza. The pizza, personally... I like the gourmet Domateo with goat cheese, artichoke, roasted red pepper, mushrooms. I sub out the turkey breast for eggplant, but that's just me. Wash the whole thing down with a brio. 
Man, I am getting hungry just talking about this. Call Pizza Trocadero at 519-829-2444. Visit them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph and online at trocaderoguelph.ca. T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. Edward Keenan is a senior editor at The Grid, a columnist at Spacing, and a lifelong resident of Toronto, Ontario. He has been writing about the city's political and cultural landscape for over 10 years and has been nominated for prestigious writing awards. His new book is called Some Great Idea, Good Neighborhoods, Crazy Politics, and the Invention of Toronto, which was published by Coach House Books and prompted a lecture series tour of Toronto libraries between November 6th and November 13th, including stops in Etobicoke, Scarborough, downtown and North York. Keenan is also appearing as a guest on my Long Night with Vish Khanna talk show for the Long Winter Art Series on Friday, November 8th at the Great Hall. Here now to discuss some of these things is Edward Keenan. Uh, good day, Edward. How are you? Hi, I'm not too bad. It's, uh, it's a busy time here in Toronto with uh, political news, but, uh, but you know, if you're in my business, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, for the city, I, I'm... I'm I have a different conclusion. Yeah, well, I was going to say, in your new book, you write very lovingly of Toronto and your personal relationship with the city, and, you, and you, you're chronicling its progress under its last three mayors, Mel Lastman, David Miller, and, and currently, of course, the embattled Rob Ford. In all your years, can you think of anything more detrimental to Toronto's image than the saga of, of Mayor Rob Ford's behavior, which, you know, obviously has hit its, I hope, we hope, it's, it's, it's hit its ultimate low, uh, hopefully it doesn't get any lower after yesterday's admission that he has, in fact, smoked crack cocaine while in office. I mean, what is going through your mind as a, not as a, not only as a resident, you love this city. How are you feeling right now? Well, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm feeling sad about it. I'm shocked. I mean, shell-shocked anyway, uh, which might be a better word than shocked, because if you followed Rob Ford's career for a while, um, the details of this are surprising, but the broad strokes of it, the outline of it has kind of been predictable. But I, I'm... You know, I'm I'm sad and a bit confused, and uh, and I'm trying to figure out where we go as a city from here. I I'm less concerned in some senses with the city's image uh, than internationally or whatever what people think of it. Because I mean, I think this reflects on Rob Ford and it draws attention and it it does make our politics look like a bit of a, a zoo. But at the same time, I think it's what's far more important to me as a resident of Toronto, as a citizen of Toronto, is um the effect that this is having on our political conversation here and our idea of what that conversation should be about or what we should be talking about. Because I think, um, on the one hand, uh, Toronto is actually, in many ways, a stronger city than it's ever been, uh, certainly larger, but um, it's growing, it's affluent, it's uh, it's really a dynamite place to live. Uh, on the other hand, uh, even before the crack scandal emerged, but certainly since then, uh, we've been really focused on on a, a, what I think is a bit of a small-minded com- and simplified, oversimplified conversation about politics, about city building, about what kind of city we can and should be, or what are appropriate for our city hall to do or talk about, but also, um, you, you know, more and more about the personal personal shortcomings of of one man, mm-hmm. and uh, and at, while we're talking about those things. Uh, Increasing less and less are we uh, 
talking about, you know, a lot of the things that people who voted for him thought we should be addressing, a lot of the things that people who didn't vote for him thought we should be addressing, um, like the the increasing unaffordability of housing in the city, like that, the, you know, decades overdue building of transit and improving of the transit system um, and, and any number of other things. Uh, I mean, these are things that actually need our attention. And we have, you know, good qualified bureaucrats in the city, city staff, who can keep the ship running and manage it just fine. But I think to move forward, to build the city, to decide what kind of city we're going to be and what role the government will play in that, we need to actually have a political conversation. Yeah, We need to sort out some of these questions. You know, one of the more, more astute uh, things about your book is this suggestion that the, the mayor of, of the city is really someone who kind of personifies the mood of the city, the tone of the city. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean and, and I, I, I think I think he does. Yeah, and and I and I well you sorry, you think you you think the mayor does, but in this case with with Ford it's just been such chaos. I I feel like uh you know, there's someone I was reading this yesterday, someone has chronicled 113 things that Rob Ford has done uh sort of of infamy aside from this crack cocaine thing. You know, there's all sorts of things happening because of this, and it's all rather purient. It's all very, you know, hurtful to him uh, personally. But if, 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 what you think, if what you say is true, what, is, what does Ford represent about this city? Is he, does he somehow reflect some chaotic underbelly that people aren't aware of? Well, I mean, I, I think it can be easy for us to overlook... Um, I mean, Toronto is a relatively safe city uh, compared to other cities of this size, or even cities that are much smaller. Uh, it, it, we have relatively little crime, uh, which is not to say that there's none. Which is not even to, to say that there's not a lot. Um, but I mean, more than crime, I think what what Rob Ford has represented about sort of the the debate taking place in the city psyche right now is um, a transition from more of a a provincial city, a smaller city, uh, uh, to a a global city. And and whether we're comfortable with that transition, I I think Rob Ford, you know, this crack scandal and its personal details is tragic and it's also uh, sensational. But the the arc of it seems to me to be of a piece with Rob Ford's entire career where, you know, um, the the lies followed by admissions, but also... um, the erratic uh, personal nature of of this. Rob Ford was elected essentially on, on a wave of frustration and anger uh, from multiple different groups in the city. Right. Among them, uh, like an older group of people, homeowners who, who drive and who, who are frustrated with the growing pains of becoming sort of a, a much larger metropolis, as well as uh, some, some really marginalized people in the inner suburbs who don't have access to good city services, who haven't been benefiting from our growth, and who are who are saying we need someone to to deal with this. And now, the premise of Rob Ford, though, as a politician, is that is that somehow the city could be governed like a family business, right, or a small town, where the mayor would call you personally, and he'd solve your problem. Um, and you know that's just not tenable in a city of this size uh, and it never was going to be right his 
explanations of the tax and budget system and of how customer service should work in the city never really matched up with reality. They were the, the kind, like, you can't over, you can't have simple solutions to complex problems, or you can't pretend that they're simple problems. Um, and and he has represented a promise that I think was fundamentally false, that you could do those things, right? Well, and he continues it, to do this. I mean, I, I it's very troubling, and, and you, you mentioned this, that he's... T- you, you, he takes big ideas and tries to simplify them to be as sort of in line with what he perceives to be an everyman uh, as possible. Mm-hmm. And this is actually, this reflects, I think, his approach to this scandal. Because I think what we saw yesterday was him openly talking about being in a drunken stupor. You know, sometimes I get hammered. The actual wording was to be like, you know, everyone gets wasted. Everyone goes through this. I'm just like you. Who d- but but the the kind of larger picture was like you know who doesn't do crack cocaine who doesn't try these things it's very confusing I feel like his perception of what is normal is very flawed and and dangerous and I, and I think too that 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 perception of what is normal uh, in the same way that his is kind of flawed and dangerous maybe although I, I would say that many people who've had any real experience with addicts or with people with substance abuse problems binge drinking problems would be really familiar with that kind of language, that kind of apology he gave yesterday, because, you know, I've, I've had more experience with that than I'd really like to have, um, and, and I've given that speech uh, in the privacy of my living room, thank God, not, not, but, you know, this sort of like, please, please, please give me another chance, and then sort of then trying to downplay it and shifting to the future without focusing on the steps that are needed to move to the future. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. But, but the thing is that, I mean, we, we as a city increasingly grow it. You know, he's been mayor now for three years and, and with every, as, as the scandals have ramped up from um, sort of really political discussions, policy discussions to some ethics discussions and whatnot. And, and um, you know, improprieties in, in like, like, you know, talking on your cell phone when you're driving and stuff now into, you know, an involvement with the criminal underworld and serious substance abuse and, and whatnot. Um, the bar uh, that we set as a city for ourselves about like what's acceptable behavior, what's normal, what's outrageous, what should be considered shocking changes. Um, and and I mean, I think I think that that's uh, that's a really troubling thing. Uh, you know, that could could have a legacy well beyond him because because there's a certain expectation that we should have about what's acceptable in public service, how we should be, the seriousness with which we should be creating this debate and the gravity that the people we elect to represent us should should feel um, that comes with that responsibility uh, versus, you know, the kinds of things that that we've seen go on and that we've come to accept is just like predictable, a predictable part of our politics, right? Right, right. Nothing could be shocking anymore. Well, it's so very few things can be shocking anymore. Let's say it's interesting because you actually begin your book by recalling a very prescient profile you wrote about Ford while while he was still a city councilor, and and you say that you tried to take him seriously when others simply marginalized him as kind of this blustery, buffoonish guy. But you actually went and 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 hung out with him and learned about. Yeah, him. I spent a couple of days with traveling around with him, visiting constituents and whatnot, and um. And uh, and I, I got a sense of why 
why people liked them. But the like the the likability thing is is huge. Like I I I understand that we are beginning to see a, a clearer picture of his uh, addiction and that he's got health issues in terms of of that. But I mean, fundamentally, is he just someone that needs to be liked? Is this stemming from some insecurity? I mean, we're not doctors; we can't figure this out. But it seems to be stemming from some insecurity and some just neuroses about wanting to be liked. Well, I mean, so that's certainly the impression I got from him, and it's an impression I've continued to get from him all along. Is and I and I don't really want to psychoanalyze him, but yeah, yeah. but the impression I get from him is that he's a guy, and, and his family dynamic may play into it, or his high school experiences, or whatever. But um, you know, he's kind of bumbling. He's he's not particularly articulate. Um, he is, I think, you know, by his supporters' own admission, not an intellectual or anything, and he's overweight, uh, and all of these things. Uh, I think, for whatever reason, have led him to feel personally marginalized and mocked uh, in a long time. And I think his anger and sometimes his bullying uh, seem to stem from that. But on the other hand, when you meet him in person, too, there's, there's you feel a real desire that he wants to impress you. And that, I mean, when he calls all these people back and uh, and goes to see them to to see their potholes or their fence dispute with their neighbor or whatever, you get this sense that he wants to be able to do something for people. And he wants to, uh, he wants he wants them to have a good impression of him and to to realize that that he's he's not a mock worthy uh, person. Uh, but but do you but think? It, do you think? I he's, don't know that he has the t- he has the right approach to actually accomplishing the, the goals. Do you think he still he has that? I, I think the 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 Rob Ford you're describing is is Counselor Ford. It's been kind of well documented that since he's taken on the. The office of the mayor that he's actually worked far less than well well he's been working uh less uh the past uh year year and a half uh increasingly like when his schedules get released more and more time is blocked off for personal time or, or what they call constituent calls but i mean there's an asterisk beside that which is it, you you say it's well documented but but what, what we're talking about really is like a decrease in um in that kind of activity which still it doesn't represent like none. He still does spend hours phoning okay. people back. Journalists who phoned his cell phone on the day the crack scandal broke were shocked to get a call back a month later because he was working his way through the calls and they weren't able to leave a message so he didn't know they were journalists. He just knew that this person had called his phone. Uh, he had like uh, their number logged in his call display or whatever. Yeah. And so he was calling them back, you know? Uh, and, and so, I mean, he's still doing that work. He's still reaching out to touch I, I talked to a cab driver in Scarborough last week who was talking about what he loved about Rob Ford and, and what he told me is, is that essentially like n- he never felt like he had access to a mayor before and he, he has repeatedly uh, talked to Rob Ford and been called back by Rob Ford, had Rob Ford point him to the people who might be able to solve his problems. And so, but, but I, I think the thing, the difference you point out between Councillor Ford and Mayor Ford, aside from any, uh, decrease in that his ability to do that as he maybe has been struggling with other issues or dealing with other issues or preoccupied with other issues is that that approach doesn't actually scale to making the civic government work better, right? Mm -hmm. If you're a a city councillor, it's a service to your constituents to some respect to talk to them, listen to them, find out what their problems are and see how you can solve them. But if you're running a $10 billion bureaucracy, you have to be talking about ways to fix the system so so that the councillors don't need to get so many calls. 
Yeah. Right. So that yeah. you don't need the personal intervention of the mayor to solve any any frustrating problem that you have. And and instead of working on that, improving the bureaucracy, he's been working on on shrinking the size of city government. That's I mean one of his stated goals. Yeah. They're just contradictory things, right? Yeah. It's very confusing. Uh, why do you suppose the city of Toronto's hands are tied by Rob Ford in this matter? People are calling for him to step aside. Uh, it went from resignation to please just take a leave of absence. Uh, and, you know, you hear sort of, I've been listening to the news, uh, and you hear sort of polls on the street. And, I mean, I'm I'm a little surprised by some of the things people are saying in support of him. It, it's like a willful blindness about what he's going through and what he's done. I'm, I'm, I'm just confused. Like, why? why well, not, I mean, not everybody in the city is particularly sophisticated in their thinking, right? And they're never going to be. Not everybody in the city uh, is following all the details. And a lot of people, and I think this is actually true of, uh, you know, leftists as well as right-wing people, uh, but in a, you know, in a different way, in different circumstances. But once you've decided that you like somebody, that they represent you, that you identify with them, uh, it's, it's very, very hard to have that bias changed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Carl Rove wrote that about the approach to, uh, Carl Rove, the, the famous George Bush strategist, wrote that to the approach to opposing Obama. He said, you know, people love this guy, and so your attacks that say he's a socialist, your attacks that say he's, um, he's a bad guy are not, never going to work, because people have already decided in their mind that they like him. Right. You, have, you have to talk about other things, like how, how he's a nice guy, he is an inspiring figure, but that, that he hasn't been up to the job or whatever, right? So I think, I think the case that Rob Ford has not up, been up to the job has been demonstrated, but there are a lot of people who, um, who still want to believe in him. They want to believe that the things that they liked about him were true. And, and it's very hard to convince them otherwise. Although I think, you know, his sort of admission this week, partial admission that he's been lying openly lying and vilifying the people who were telling the truth for months and months might might start to chip away at that. Yeah, this is this seems more serious and I mean his whole semantic argument was very confusing. for a guy who, as you say, tries to keep things as straightforward as possible and, and maybe goes about it as in a deliberately simple minded way to appeal to his base. It was very confusing for to see him get into this semantic debate about, well you didn't ask me the right questions. Yeah, and I mean that's that's like the anti-Rob Ford thing to say, right? Because, and this is I've talked to a lot of Rob Ford supporters over the years, and and one of the things has always been that like he's not, you know, he almost never comes up with the right words with the precise phrase, right? Yeah. But the sense of authenticity, the sense that he's an honest man, comes from the fact that, you know, his bumbling comes from the fact that he's speaking from his heart. He's guileless. He's not disingenuous, right? And even if he finds the wrong words to say you you get the meaning and you know it's coming from his heart right and now now here he is like bill clinton arguing like well what the about tenses right like whether whether he asked precisely the right question or whether i do not smoke crack cocaine is different from have i ever smoked crack cocaine like this is this runs contrary to everything that a lot of people yeah liked about rob ford or thought they liked about who he was as a person and as a politician and but, but I mean, I, you know, the, the thing is, is that, you know, political obituaries of Rob Ford have been written for, for over a decade, right? Yeah, he's very slippery. And they've all turned he's, out to be premature. It's amazing. So we'll see, it's really amazing we'll how slippery see. he is. 
Yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's I people love to like they they love to say like, oh, he, he could easily win the next election, or they say, oh, he's finished. And I've I've been guilty of that. I I engage in that kind of talk, but the, the fact is, I don't know what's going to happen in next year's election. Yeah. And and nobody else knows either, right? And if they guess right right now, it's just because they're lucky. Yeah. Um, or and, they're psychic. And he and he is uh, in a mode of eliciting sympathy now. I mean, it's 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 a, yeah. cl- a classic kind of. Uh, well, I don't know this personally, but I, my understanding this is also classic uh, addict behavior. You know, it's it's now the mea culpas. It's now the, you know, yeah. Please feel bad for me. <laughs> so it's exactly. Uh, I mean, and and his apology, his not his uh, first admission, but his formal apology at the press conference was was larded with exactly that kind of um, lack of self-reflection. He talked about how hard this has been for him, about how embarrassing and humiliating this has been and how ashamed he is and how he hopes nobody else has to go through that. And then this, this sort of solemn promise to never do it again. But, but again, this, there's this emphasis on what he's gone through, uh, how he's become a victim. And he, he can say it's all his fault, but he still sees, to some extent, uh, the most remarkable things about it being that it's his fault that he's had to suffer like this, yeah. not the other people who've been hurt, including, you know, the entire governance of the city of Toronto, which has essentially been, uh, you know, held hostage might be too strong a term, but it has certainly been um, been distracted for months and longer by, as a result, a direct result of his his inability to a tell the truth and b deal directly head on with the problems that that he has in his personal life uh, uh, that need to be dealt with. Yeah. Uh, Edward, there's so much uh, about your book that we weren't able to get to, and in fact, most of what we've talked about isn't necessarily included in this book, but it's uh, obviously relevant to the uh, to the book. I just want to let people know that uh, the new book is Some Great Idea, Good Neighborhoods, Crazy Politics, and the Invention of Toronto. It's out now via Coach House Books. Uh, Keenan's lecture series visits libraries in Etobicoke, Scarborough, downtown, and North York between November 6th and November 13th. And he also appears as a guest on my Long Night with Vish Khanna talk show for the Long Winter Art Series on Friday, November 8th at the Great Hall between 10 p.m. and 11 p.m. For more information, please visit chbooks.com or follow Edward on Twitter at the Keenan Wire. Edward, I know you have to go. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you on Friday. Yes, yes, indeed. Karen Houle is an associate professor in the Department of Philosophy at the University of Guelph and an acclaimed poet whose 2001 volume, Ballast, was shortlisted for the Gerald Lampert Award. Her latest volume of poetry is 2008's During, which its publisher, Gaspro Press, describes as a study in continuity and a depiction of friendships, siblings, marriage, parenting, breakups, work and loss through the oblique angles of biology, geology, forestry, and philosophy. Houle appears at the River Run Center on Friday, November 8th as part of the Guelph Lecture on Being Canadian, and she joins me now over the phone from somewhere in the city of Guelph. Uh, Hi, Karen. How are you? Hi. Good morning, Vish. I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for being on my uh, show. Now, since you're appearing at the Guelph Lecture on Being Canadian, I'm curious, uh, what has Being Canadian meant to you this week when our country has been in the international spotlight because of the health issues of Toronto's Mayor Rob Ford? Oh, it's just embarrassing. Hmm. Do we have to say anything more? 
I mean, we're always we're always feeling, I think, a little bit sad or a little provincial, and then this just underscores that. Yeah, yeah. I, <sighs> it, it's it's frustrating on many levels. Uh, what I, what we're seeing also, I think, uh, justifiably perhaps, is a lot of sympathy for him um, mm-hmm. because of uh, as I as I say, I frame it as as health issues. As a health issue. This, uh-huh. this is really. I think uh, beyond his personality, this is a situation where it's been interesting for me because I think even people who have uh, been very hateful towards him are like, mm-hmm. man, this is actually, you use the word sad and mm-hmm. uh, embarrassing. And I mean, it's beyond that now. This is, mm-hmm. this is really terrible. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and it I, is terrible. Yeah. And I feel like so, in some ways our, our reaction is, is I, I don't know if I'm being reductive. It's a little Canadian. It's a, it's a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was in Alberta when um, Ralph Klein went through something very similar around his boozing. I distinctly remember how unpopular, but also how very popular he was to such a split in terms of the kinds of folks who found him to be right on and right, not really, really not on. Yeah. And then he admitted publicly to having a drinking problem and then the... Um, you know the sympathy and the 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 folks that that, that rallied in behind that, and uh, I remember thinking, "Good, that's true. That's how humans are. They suffer." On the other hand, I thought, "Shit, get rid of this guy." So <laughs> I think <laughs> I have a simpler kind of response to the, yeah. to the to the Rob Ford situation. Does anything in your academic background give you some perspective on this situation that someone like me might be missing? Uh, on the situation uh, in Toronto right now, yeah. Or about the Canadian bit that you said. What? Well, I, I think that uh, let's focus in on the on the Rob Ford situation. Just like uh-huh. I, I'm wondering if there's something, like, is there a logic or meaning that we can grasp onto that to make sense of this and, and the way it's unfolded and his behavior? Like, I, I'm a, I'm a little confused, and I and, uh-huh. I, and I don't know. I I, I value your opinion because you're smarter than me, and I want I want to hear from you about it. <laughs> oh, this morning I don't feel so smart. Um, <laughs> Well, I study philosophy, of course, and teach philosophy, and one of the things that philosophy tries to figure out is what the self is and why the self does what the self does. So, right. I mean, psychology does that, too, as does sociology, so we don't have the corner market on it. But, I mean, philosophy is really interested in this thing called the human condition, right? Yeah. So the human condition would be just where anybody, where we all, as human beings, happen to find ourselves, the kinds of... Um, Things we can't avoid, like having a body and having that body subject to influences that some of some of which are beyond our control, whether it's gravity or uh, heroin, whatever it is, right? So I guess one of the things that I that I can say as a philosopher is that Rob Ford is a uh, has a body and is a body like the rest of us and is subject to the vicissitudes of that body. So that's one thing, you know. I suppose you can get in a little bit of an angle of like empathy and human condition from that. Yeah. This is a, a life we're watching unfold and, yeah. <laughs> and you know, yeah. on that level we all relate. I mean, I was just having a conversation with Edward Keenan about this. He's a, a noted mm-hmm. uh, Toronto writer and he, we were getting into the likability aspect of this. I mean, ah, yeah. fundamentally I feel like a lot of this stems from his very fervent desire to be liked. And, um, and and appear as sort of every man as possible, and mm-hmm. and this even in his language discussing these issues, he's mm-hmm. kind of talked about being hammered and you know everyone mm-hmm. gets wasted and you know I I may have been in a drunken stupor and I feel like it was a very strategic way of 
humanizing mm-hmm. himself to his base who I think mm-hmm. he feels also operate on that level of like, you know, everyone likes to party and let their hair down. Uh, you know, I'm no different than anyone else. But, but, <laughs> but, but really... Different from Michael Ignatieff. <laughs> yes, well, yes, but he, I, I think it's also like, this is his justifi- justification for kind of faulty behavior, that, like, mm-hmm. that the human condition actually fosters this. And that's why I find it really troubling. And that's why I thought you might have some interesting perspective on it. Well, the human condition um, can explain how that's a part of what we all grapple with, but it doesn't um, license it or uh, justify it. Yeah. It just gives us an insight into that's the kind of thing that can happen to humans as humans. But then what we do with those, you know, the, the ways we're sloshing around in our particular lives and sometimes stable and sometimes really destabilized, and what we do with that, that is also part of the human condition, which is it's up to us, and we do have some measures of agency, even when we're and what is a hammered or at a pit party? Hammered, drunken stupor. These are all the bu- these are all the buzzwords that yeah. uh, came about this week. Yeah, even in the middle of those kinds of situations, there's still the, an individual named Rob Ford, as opposed to just the, the forces acting on him. So, but it's a loss. That's also part of it. He seems mm. very invested in a loss of self. I suppose. Like, I mean, the, oh, good way of putting it. As a, as an addict, uh, I can't. I, I mean, I'm not a doctor, and I don't want to speak insensitively mm-hmm. about what is clearly mm-hmm. a, a medical condition he's going through, but he does seem to be very... Uh, he seems to be hyper-obsessed with being self-aware and and appearing as just a run-of-the-mill guy, but mm-hmm. it's all kind of this weird obfuscation of what he's really like. It's very mm-hmm. it's very confusing. And then and then when he goes through these public uh, bouts of, of just inebriation, intoxication, he... He becomes a, you know, they say a truer version of. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't drink at all. I don't do drugs, so I, I never, maybe I don't lose myself in that sense. So I can't really <laughs> relate. But he, it does seem like there is a line of thinking that you become a maybe a truer, more honest version of yourself. And it, in, in his case, it seems to be a little monstrous. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I mean, I'm not a psychologist either, so I don't know exactly how this works. Except it seems sure that people who are um, have neurotic ways of behaving, whether that's through drugs or some other kind of um, situation they find themselves in. They develop masks and tropes and ways of being at a distance from from their tendencies. You would want to, if you had a tendency to become a monster, you'd want to figure out ways of clamping down on that or hiding it. Right. Um, yeah, but then, you know, that monster is going to come out probably in, in some way in every exchange he has with some... Maybe even the the words that he chooses have a little bit of that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, for he's sure. just trying to distribute distribute the monster a little bit more thinly so that it doesn't jump out like all at once. But right, right. Well, speaking of sort of human beings and and the human yeah. condition as we have been, can you <laughs> can you talk a little bit about your your book of poetry during because I feel like it gets into some of these things. Oh, that's a really nice thing to say. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Well, in uh seven words or less, that <laughs> that book was a sort of, um, let's say, it was very much a process of me trying to find my feet again in the world after a shattering breakup, to put not too fine a point on it. Uh-huh. And uh, when one is falling apart or imploding or exploding, whether you're Rob Ford or me and my marriage, or anyone else out there, um, 
you think that you're going to have no ground or no feet or nothing to come back to. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The self has been like completely obliterated. Um, either by the world or by an individual. And so your trust in the world or in the individuals is really at an all-time low. Mm. But um, you can, I could, I was able to use um, the writing and uh, words, like the choice of words to sort of rebuild um, a foundation and then stand up on that a little bit and then take a look around and see what was still intact and what still had a pulse and what was still beautiful and uh, what endured through that, uh, that ordeal. So um, I became really interested, like in a good way, not as a sort of dead thing looking at the world, but I started to feel inside me this um, kind of interest in how things work and how love, the power of love to move through the world in the way it does and that we have the powers to love, that we can do things in the world as parents or as partners or as brothers and sisters or as people who love dogs or cats. We can love things like so fiercely and it's uh, it's such a power to change the world through it, you know, for better, for worse. So the, the book of poetry was me um, outside of a relationship, outside of a primary relationship, um, using language to build my way back into, I don't know, being enamored with the world again. Right. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I hadn't realized the background there. I, I this Well... Book... <laughs> Go ahead. Well, is it something you've articulated much before? I mean, uh, the, you know, on one hand, there's the book of poetry. On another, there's your kind of, uh, you know, you conveying what it might be about. Um, mm -hmm. if you, it's and, and also the book, am I correct? The book is about five years old now, right? Yeah, the book is about five years old. So, I mean, you've had a lot of time to reflect upon mm -hmm. what it's all about and what it means to you. Have you gotten to a place where objectively you feel better about uh, things in, in terms of like was the, was the book a therapeutic exercise in the end i would say that even talking like talking with you and i yes the answer is yes short yeah. answer is yes but i'm not in an it's not an interesting for me it's not an interesting thing to say it's therapeutic in the sense of having uh fixed the relationship i think more in terms of like the force of things that are moving through us and how we handle that intensity yeah um so the autobiographical piece turns out to be maybe just a bit of information, but really what's more important is there was something very strong happening to me and I needed to figure out a way to respond just as strongly, just as powerfully, just as beautifully in order to sort of restabilize. Right. Um, it could have been any, any number of things. I don't think that anybody writes from writes music or dances from a place of sort of neutrality. 
Right. Uh, you know, it can't be true. Well, speaking of kind of, I guess, mediums, uh, realms, um, and this is just me potentially being a dumb guy, but from your view, <laughs> I just don't know much about this. From your view, how do the worlds of, of poetry and philosophy relate to one another? I mean, how how, how do you... These are these are realms you operate in. These are worlds that have kind of become conflated for you. Um, mm -hmm. How and I mean they have been for centuries. But I, I'm just curious from your perspective, uh, mm. how, how do they relate to one another? Oh, that's great. I'm I'm going to borrow just an answer from uh, a hockey friend of mine, Kathy Gartley, who sent me a note the other day, and she said something like, "I thought all poets were already philosophers, but not all philosophers are poets." And nobody I know is a poet and a philosopher and a hockey player, which I like. <laughs> so there's something in the first part of that that's true. Is probably anybody who writes poetry, whether it's in lyrics of music or dance poetry with their bodies, they're already philosophical, so introspective and curious about the world and um, trying to not just operate in cliché, whether it's their posture or their sentences. So in that sense, um, say I'm probably a... As a poet, I'm already a philosopher. I see. Right? But not as a paid philosopher who goes and teaches things like, you know, environmental ethics. So then the other piece, which is the, the person who studies logic and Hegel and uh, Aristotle and writes long, turgid, speculative essays, that's the philosopher. That kind of work, for me, doesn't necessarily um, open me up uh, poetically. I, in fact, it's usually the opposite. I... I find it's like putting a concrete hat on and then the the way that poetry um, can be a kind of interesting way of opening yourself to the world of philosophy. It's considering the world, but it's I don't necessarily feel like it opens me up. So if I read too much philosophy, I don't manage to be very poetic. Well, at the risk of making a kind of rudimentary academic uh, dynamic argument, I suppose, You've got passion and reason kind of intermingling a lot uh, here, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's not a bad way of putting it. Um, philosophy, of course, it's 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 full of passion too, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a passion it's passion for life. It's passionate as a self. It's even like mental passion. You've got to get through those those long pages of Kant, and <laughs> it takes a certain kind of passion, I would say. Mm -hmm. And you can love philosophy. I mean, people who love philosophy love philosophy. Um, but, yeah, so it's not just that it's about reason, but it's largely about reason. And poetry doesn't lack logic or argument or even proof, but it's uh, laced with something a bit more moving, I think. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. the, another broad kind of discussion point, I suppose, is, is about... Uh, well, just given the context of our conversation, do you suppose your work tells us some, your particular work, does it tell us something about Canada and being Canadian? It, it comes from such a personal perspective, but mm. uh, is, is that enough? Is, is the fact that you are Canadian uh, informing this work? <laughs> I mean, that's such a, that's such a spring-loaded question. The piece about the being Canadian, I feel quite, like, um, I quite, quite niggly about. I'm not, the, just to, to clarify that the Aramosa Institute hasn't told us, like the guests on Friday night, that we have to be Canadian or act like Canadians <laughs> or talk about being Canadian. Right. <laughs> it happens to be the tagline of the lecture. I think it's a bit problematic, but you I are can you it. you are a poet, philosopher, hockey player. So I can't think. It of is. It. I'm a there. Maybe there's your answer right there. I can't Come think from of a long line of hockey players. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of anything more Canadian than you right now, to be honest. <laughs> Plus. A curler, could I add that? Oh, little, wow, there you go. 
I know. So I've got that, the ice sports wrapped up. Right. <laughs> nice job. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not going to talk too much about being Canadian, although I've, I've thought about how I might um, bring some, something in that, that is a, that's a metaphor that's highly Canadian, has that. So that's, that's my... Yeah, I, I think it's sort of implicit. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the actual format of the uh, lecture, do you know how it's going to unfold? Are you speaking and then leaving, or how does that work? Um, well, I, apparently, I have a seat in the uh, in the River Run Center myself, so I'm not going anywhere. I'm I think I'm speaking first, and then I'll make my way to my seat, hopefully with one of those helpful ushers, and listen to the rest of the evening. You're not in a um, you're not on a panel or anything. No, in the in previous years I've seen it, and there's a, an interview format, right? Like I saw Sheila Hetty interviewing Guy Madden. Yeah. I don't think that's happening at all. It might be happening with Lee Smolin's piece, but as 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 for my piece. I have about 20, 25 minutes, not too long, and uh, they asked me to, you know, do a combo where I speak about poetry and literature, but I also then read some of my poetry. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, That's the format. we're all looking forward to it, and I, I want to say once again that uh, Karen Hull's latest book of poetry is During, and she appears at the Guelph Lecture on Being Canadian at the Riverrun Center on Friday, November 8th. For more information, please visit eramosa.org. Uh, uh, Karen, thank you so much for your time today, and uh, thanks, thanks a lot, I wish you the best of luck with everything. You know, we didn't—I didn't ask you really, and I should have before mm. I did this amazing conclusion. What is coming up next for you? This book of poetry is five years old, but what's coming up next? Oh, that's good. I have a book of philosophy coming out in first of December. Uh, it's a monograph, so that means it's the first book I've written all by myself about one topic. So that's coming out. Okay. What's the last it? five years have really been tied up with writing that book. So. And what's it called? It's called uh, Complexity, Responsibility, Abortion Toward a New Image of Ethical Thought. Okay, that's a, that's a catchy-ass title, Karen. Good. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot there. <laughs> well, it tells you what you're going to find in those pages. Totally, yeah. It's the clearest title I've ever heard. All right, well, <laughs> I, wish you, I wish you the best of luck with that, and thank you once again for your time today. Thanks so much, Feech. Jeff Berner is a tremendously gifted songwriter and musician known for his outspoken songs and 100% belief in the klezmer tradition. Based in Vancouver, he received a scholarship for being the top student at the University of British Columbia's creative writing program, and he's gone on to write scripts for Sesame Street, make several acclaimed recordings, write a book about how to play the accordion, tour across 18 countries, and much more. Dundurn Press has just published Berner's hilarious new novel called Festival Man, a fictional memoir about an unhinged music impresario named Campbell Winnett. It's prompted Bernard to go on an extensive book reading and music playing tour across Canada, which includes a 5 p.m. reading at the bookshelf and an evening performance at the E-Bar in Guelph on Sunday, November 11th. It should also be noted that uh, Bernard just became a dad again within the last week, I believe. Uh, here now to discuss most of these things is Jeff Berner. Uh, Jeff, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Vish? I'm very well. Uh, where in the world are you? You're, you're in Toronto now, I believe, right? I'm I'm in Toronto at at Michael and Helen's house. Nice. How are they doing? Pretty good. Helen, which station are you on right now? Well, this will be for CFRU eventually. Oh yeah, Hel- Helen used to used to run that joint. That's right. Well, kind of. I I used to run it too. I used to work there I, too. You know what I'm I saying? I know. We. <laughs> I know what you're saying. <laughs> well, first of all, congratulations on your new child. Thanks a lot. Ursula, she's good. 
Ursula, now what what can you tell us about this whole situation in your life? I alluded to the fact that it was a newer situation, right? Yeah, she was born uh, last week. Wow. And uh, but the the tour was uh, all and the book thing was all scheduled before we knew Ursula was coming. So I have to do a quick two week jaunt to to put try to put books in people's hands, and then I'm coming right home. Right now, you're you're a dad already, right? Yeah, uh, this is my fourth kid. Fourth? Holy cow! I like didn't... I'm, it's like I'm a Mormon or something. <laughs> wow! So you're this is this is kind of old hat by now. Well, no, it's they're they're all different. You okay, know? they right. all have different deals. Yeah, but sure. and it's obviously it must be tough to be away, having a new child. That must be, I I can't I can't imagine it. But you're doing well under the circumstances. Well. You know, you just, that's the deal. If you want to make a living doing the circusy things, you have to go on the road. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Now, you are in Ontario when the world is watching uh, Toronto Mayor Rob Ford this week. And, you know, you've been pretty merciless in your own critiques of corrupt public officials in the past. Uh, what's your take on this story? Well, I guess uh, I share a lot of my left-wing friends, uh, I you know, problems with the whole sensation right now is that you can it seems like in the Rob Ford case you can be like a a wife beater and a, a queer baiter and a, and a somebody who snatches money away from poor kids at community centers in order to pay for police helicopters and all and be a big jerky bully and get away with it but if you if you're found to consume you know, like a you know a street drug, then that's like grounds for resignation. It's like uh, a bit odd to me. I think I don't think that I think that Toronto's got the mayor they deserve and they should keep him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, an interesting perspective. You you're not. Well, what does this say about your position on Toronto? You feel like I mean, obviously, yes, he was voted into office. I, I don't necessarily disagree with your sentiment, but it is kind of a cold thing to say, given the circumstances. Well, I just don't see it as grounds for taking an elected official out of office. The fact that they that they consumed a, a street drug, you know, what what's the difference between, you know, crack and marijuana, which uh, Justin Trudeau smoked? I think he should have not been elected because he's a terrible uh, mayor, but. Toronto elected him fair and square, and he should be allowed to serve out his term. They they have to dance with the uh, mean bastard that brung them. Now, now you, I don't know how closely you followed this particular mayor. He's obviously the mayor of Canada's largest city, and uh, he makes headlines perhaps more than, well, definitely more than other mayors across this country. So I don't know how much you know about him, but his legacy was already in question uh, before all of this happened. As you know, like we in the rest of Canada are inundated with Toronto news because most of the news outlets are are based in Toronto, whether we like it or not. So we're all quite aware of uh, what Rob Ford's been up to uh, in his uh, term. And uh, yeah, he's an outrageous guy, but he was outrageous when when Toronto elected him. And uh, they should have known better. Yeah. And now they've they've got him. Yeah. And... And... and you know the whole idea that smoking crack is grounds for firing somebody is uh, from any job is to me uh, unjust. You yeah. know, so 
they're going to have to let him serve out his term, I think. And uh, then maybe they, the left in Toronto can get their shit together and, uh, you know, and elect somebody decent. But, you know, he was already a guy who, like, when he was elected, said things like the pe- cyclists who are killed on the road deserve what they get. Yeah, but, like, that's what I'm so saying. So he was yeah. already a, a monster. So he's, the, he's really, uh, this is just, uh, you know, nemesis after hubris. As a, as, a for, cre- as a creative writer, though, I mean, I'm thinking of your character in, in this book, Festival Man, uh, who is also... Uh, not a great guy, but you you are you in your role as a writer, you need to empathize and sympathize with these characters, these kinds of people and and i'm you know I'm curious how that uh, that outlook and that perspective helps you relate to someone like Ford because he in his actions yesterday, I think is now trying to elicit uh, sympathy you know he's he's trying to be like and I've said this a few times already on this particular episode of the show. He's really trying to become an everyman to a fault, right? Like he's really trying to be like, look, I'm just like you. I and I feel like it's a flawed perspective on what being a normal person is like. Well, uh, I I really, you know, to me, it's it's uh, the whole theater of it all is is really a big distraction from uh, what what's going on in Toronto, which is like. The, you know, there's the same kind of stuff that's happening in Vancouver, where uh, you know condos are are knocking down the heritage buildings everywhere, and uh, you know poor people are being cleared out of their neighborhoods to make way for more condos. Um, you know, uh, the a Vancouver real estate developer has bought um, what's it called, the Honest Eds there. Yeah. Yeah, and they're knocking they're knocking it down, and they're going to put condos, right? Because that's what Vancouver real estate developers do, <laughs> you know. And and these are stuff going on in the city that's really sinister, and uh, that that everyone is distracted by the the soap opera of one man's, you know, one man's me- meltdown, which is really at this point, you know. Not that interesting, really. Right. Okay. Uh, that's all. That's fair. Now, speaking of soap operas revolving around one particular man, I want to talk about your book, Festival Man, because I think anyone anyone familiar with the Canadian music industry will see this as a, a fairly... This is a brilliant satire of a particular kind of man who makes his way in the world, in, in this world, in the music world. Can you talk about what inspired this book? Well, I, I just uh, I've encountered that kind of person uh, in the music business in a few different places. Just somebody who's a bit of a nail soup or you know uh, stone soup figure who's like, this amazing thing is happening. I've got everybody on board. All I need is for you to show up and bring your expensive thingy. Or all I need is for you, the talent, to show up, and it's all going to happen. You know, like. And nothing's actually happening yet, but <laughs> he's 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 tricking everybody simultaneously into and sometimes it flies and sometimes it often it doesn't and somebody else is left holding the bag. But you know, with the people like that, these sort of flim flam figures in the music business and elsewhere, uh people get screwed but also people wind up telling the story of being involved with that guy you know, 
15, 20 years later because it's the most interesting thing that ever happened to them. Yeah, I mean, this country is dotted with characters like this, different kinds of characters, you know, unique uh, music promoters. I mean, what, what is it about this world that creates this... I mean, the whole thing that you're doing when you're a character like this one, like Campbell, is is you're trying to hype things and you're trying to make everyone believe that the thing you've got is amazing. And I think psychologically that must do something to you as a human being when you're just constantly trying to get people to be interested in a thing you're doing. And, uh, I mean, we all go through it. I do it. I go through it a little bit in terms of this show. You know, I'm always trying to be like, hey, here's a thing I made. But uh, what do you suppose you're saying about the psychology of this this mentality where you're constantly trying to be creative but also, you know, be a bit of a shill about it? Well, I mean, that I don't think that 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 uh, the book is as concerned with that. Although you bring up a good point that we've all become a bit like like him over the last, especially over the last ten years, since all artists have become and cultural workers have been become responsible for promotion. Like, or it used to be that was there was you did your thing, and there was a promotion department that did the shilling for you, you know, if you made a radio show or if you made a made a book or a or an album. And now everybody has to like put out their Twitter thing and their that, that you know, that is definitely a transformation that's happened in in the last ten years is we we all have to do be a bit more like like Campbell Winnet than uh than we used to be. And uh the people who can't do it are are sometimes neglected their talents are are not discovered because they can't go out there and and flim flam yeah no it's very difficult right it's a very difficult thing and because of the kind of egalitarian nature of the internet if you will it's it, we're all in kind of on an equal ground and and some people resent it <laughs> you know some people wish they were higher than others and it's it's like a feeding frenzy almost well, you know, and people there we're not all on it's an illusion that we're all on higher ground because on on the on the same ground because uh pe- some people can afford massive outlays for internet advertising to promote their posts and such, and some people cannot you know so it's uh you know that's why you wind up with like whatever frito lay sponsored posts in your in your facebook uh, feed yeah and, and this <laughs> this has become more acceptable it's more acceptable for people to be like yeah i'm doing this thing and it's sponsored by levi's or whoever yeah i mean although it, 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 that was a thing back in when i started in the 90s was you'd you know back then in the then people were getting vans paid for by by export a cigarettes and stuff like that it's nice that that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> Although it'd be nice if somebody would pay for the van. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think there's been a weird... The, the orthodoxy of that stuff has sort of melted away a little bit, and people are more accepting of licensing their songs to commercials and things like that. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Campbell and Yet is, is a guy who's, like, scrambling on the lower echelon of the music uh, business, and he's he's trying to, like... I mean, his motivation is that he's trying to get attention and and um, and uh, furthering the career of musicians who are off the beaten path, who are a bit odd, and uh, and he's trying to like say, look, this is the real stuff, and you guys got to hear it, and he's basically willing to do whatever he has to do to get those people in front of an audience, 
the only thing is that he's he's a chaotic mess. Yeah, yeah. Himself. So, you know, it's a he he like at the bottom of what are you doing? There's an honorable colonel, I think. And um you know, but uh he's just has no boundaries or uh you know, sense of editing or <laughs> he just he just goes. I mean, and that's why he was a fun character to put on the paper. Yeah, he, he he's also he's also kind of typifies a thing that happens when people uh discover music for the first time, music in particular for the first time. There becomes a possessive ownership over the artist uh you know, externally. Like you have nothing to do with the creative process, but you feel like you were there and you 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 are part of something. And this is a character that uh, that has that, and it's a care. It's a as I say, I've seen this happen with lots of people where they begin to resent a band that they helped or something, or, or you know, or helped turn people onto, and, and then when they blow up, they kind of you know disengage with them because they're not no longer their, their little private enterprise. Well, that's a very common problem for agents and managers and uh, other business people in the music thing at at the uh at the grassroots level is that they they sweat blood to build a band into something and as soon as that band is something they sign with the manager with an office in New York or London yeah yeah <laughs> you know or or they go and and they they won't uh, they don't have time to talk to somebody, you know, at a local newspaper anymore, you know. Yeah, I and, mean, uh, Campbell goes through this by when he discovers this Inuit throat singer and and she goes off to work with uh, a huge name instead of sticking to, you know, the staying loyal to to him. Right. And and he he resents that very much. And, yeah. <laughs> at the same time, he he was always out to do a certain amount of exploitation of that artist anyway and and he yeah like you say he never owned her in the first place so he he shouldn't be too surprised when she's flown the coop and and she's definitely better off um having flown the coop yeah it's it's a very fascinating portrayal because i can't i again i'm sort of within this industry and go through some of these things that are kind of portrayed in this book i've experienced some of them so it's hard for me to be objective, and I'm I'm still on the fence as to whether I think he's ultimately not supposed to be an endearing character. He's supposed to be a sinister, you know, person. But uh, on some level, you clearly have some affection for these types of people. Well, I I try to to give Cameron the same positive weight that I give give to the world as it is. It's like pretty hor- he's pretty horrible but on balance the wonder and the goodness beat the horror by just a tiny bit <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way of putting it that's a good way of putting it now festival man also has its own soundtrack it's uh it's a bunch of artists doing your songs that's an interesting uh conceit uh, how does that tie into the book well i mean it's just it's just shilling it's like it's me thinking how can i keep this book from being ignored and i i thought well if i could get some of my friends who are better known than me 
or more talented than me at, as as musicians to cover my songs. I can like get people on the radio stations to go. And that was Ray Spoon covering Jeff Berner's song on the album from his new novel, Festival Man. You know, <laughs> like that. This that's like the 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 plan. And then artistically, I just thought it would be glorious to find out what these people, these amazing people like Ray Spoon and Corblund and Kaiser's Orchestra and Wax Mannequin would would all do with uh, with my stuff. And uh, so, you know, as as Carolyn Mark said to me when I talked to her about it, she's like, yeah, why wait till you're dead? You won't be able to get anything out of a tribute album then. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's a very astute cross-platform uh, marketing uh, thing you've come up with here, Jeff. Well, th- thanks a lot, Vish. I mean, you know, it's almost embarrassing to, or, you know, it, it's sort of, you're not supposed to uh, cop to that kind of uh uh, thing, but as you said, in, in these days, if you don't show for yourself, nobody else is going to do it. <laughs> totally, totally, you're totally right. So, what what else is next for you? You've got this book, you've got a very extensive tour. What else is going on? Are you working on a proper album of your own? Uh, yeah, I've, I'm going to go into the studio late next year and make it. I've got most of the songs. So I'm going to make an album, but uh, right now, like the the main focus is just. Uh, uh, I'm gonna do this. I've, I've got a tour in 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 Europe in February, March. I got another tour in Europe in uh, in May, and then uh, festival season. I'm gonna really do my best to let people know about this book and uh, and also get them to hear the album because at this point now the album to me is almost as important because I just found what they did really, really touching. No, so. totally. No, it's, it's, you're totally right about that. I, I, I want to let people know once again, Jeff Berner's new novel is Festival Man. It's available now via Dundurn Press, and he is on an extensive tour in support of this book, doing readings uh, and concerts across Canada. Uh, and this includes a stop in Guelph at the bookshelf in Ebar on Sunday, November 11th. And for more information about that, please visit uh, Dundurn.com. That's D-U-N-D-U-R-N.com. And also JeffBurner.com. That's G-E-O-F-F-B-E-R-N-E-R.com. Jeff, uh, is it possible for us to go out on a song from the Festival Man uh, soundtrack, if you will? Why yes it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you were if you were to select a song from this for people to hear, which uh, which would you like to pick? I know it's difficult because there's lots of uh, great uh, artists and great versions here, but uh, if you could hone in on one right now, which would it be? Uh, I'd go with the Ray Spoon track uh, for un- Ray Spoon's version of Unlistenable Song. Uh, I really like the job they did on that and. Uh, and uh, Ray is just at the top of their game right now with a, a movie called yeah. uh, My Prairie Home and an album to accompany that. And we're going to play together in Montreal So uh, on this tour. So, yeah, Ray Spoon. Another cross-platform genius, Ray Spoon. Exactly. <laughs> all right, this is Unlistenable Song. Jeff Berner, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for your time, and best of luck with all uh, all of this and Festival Man. Thanks for your time, Vish. Thank you for sending me your new recording. It was kind of you to think of me. Not a single track is boring. It was 
execute it perfectly There's just one song I'd skip if I could I guess you could say it's just a little too good I have to skip it I just can't listen I just can't listen to that song First time I heard it I remember I was driving From somewhere to somewhere else Had to pull over cause I just started crying As if I couldn't help myself As if something I thought was over and done Something that I'll never really quite recover from I have to skip it I just can't listen I just can't listen to that song Thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at cfru.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.